0: Denny. Today we're diving into project failure. This is a topic I've wanted to tackle from the very beginning, but it's a tough one. And even now I'm unsure exactly how this discussion will evolve, other than to say that we can't cover it in a single episode. In the first installment, our goal is simply to lay the foundation for what a project is and what we mean by failure and really set the stage for answers. By failure, I mean really missing the mark, not just a little past due or a little underwhelming or close, but not quite there. I'm talking about significant wastes of time and effort. This is something you won't see in the world of LinkedIn where everybody is a juggernaut and a superstar and achieving amazing things in their jobs. It's the underbelly of what everyone with any amount of tenure in corporate America has experienced. And it is an important topic that needs more discussion. I've been dealing with it during my whole career and it's easy to get discouraged or become disgruntled by your situation or your coworkers or your organization leaders, or maybe all three at once. It's also easy to think that your projects are the exception, but they're not. Failure is all too common. Danny, do you want to start us off by defining a project?
1: Yes, I think that's an important place to begin, but I, I do want to just comment briefly on your intro here. I I have to agree. I've kind of been dragging my feet to get into this for the very reasons that you pointed out. And that is, it's just such a big, daunting topic. There are so many rabbit holes to go down in this. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what we can do to tease these pieces apart and make sense of what it is that we're trying to do. But to your point, let's start by making sure that we all have the same perspective on what is a project. Because I'm not sure that's entirely clear. It's actually pretty simple. It's a definition of a temporary endeavor that has a unique product associated with it or a service or a result, something that you want to come out the other end with, a definable thing or event. It's key that you keep in mind that a project is temporary, it has a defined beginning and end. It starts and then it finishes. Buried in there, there needs to be a real definition of the scope of what it is that you're trying to do and the resources necessary to do that, be that material or people. The three parts of a project that one needs to keep in mind are the time it takes to do it. The scope, in other words, how big is this thing that you want to invent or create or build and how are you going to pay for it? What's the budget? So time, scope, budget. We'll be talking Mm -hmm. about those throughout this conversation today.
0: Why don't we introduce a couple of numbers around failure at this point, just to emphasize the importance of what we're talking about? And I know we're not completely convinced statistics around this are accurate, and it's really not possible to get into all of the research and analyze how they got to their numbers and the study details to confirm they're valid. But I think they are instructive simply because the sheer magnitude of the numbers, and they all seem to point to very high failure rates, if nothing else. Also the challenge here is that every project is different in a multitude of ways. First and foremost, the size of the project. Intuitively, we know that very small projects fail less than very large projects. That seems obvious. For that reason, I think we can assume many stats are helped by the easy ones, so to speak. So I'm pretty comfortable being able to narrow down a failure rate that is within a range. So. Most stats out there point to a failure rate at somewhere between 50 and 75%. These are projects that missed significantly on the time, the scope, the budget, or all three, all the way to utterly no value delivered. Quite frankly, this is consistent with my experience, 50 to 75% of projects failing. How does that jive with your research and experience?
1: This reminds me of an earlier episode in which we were talking about return to office statistics. And I can almost say to you, tell me what it is you would like me to prove statistically, and I'll go find those numbers to support you. Project management has been around for a while. The amount of research that's been done on it is staggering. The number of PhDs that have been awarded to candidates who have studied this is mind-boggling. <laughs> I've I've read a number of documents, uh, certainly not all because there are simply too many. But what I've tried to do is to distill some sort of sort of middle of the road numbers down mm-hmm. around these and to be clear, there are wide variations in the numbers that you receive when you read these statistical reports, but I think it has to do with the perspective of the person doing that research, what is it that they already think they know? Mm. So it feels like you can find any supporting stat that you want for any position that you want to take. But what I have attempted to do is to come up with some sort of middle of the road collective views. The one thing I can say is your number of 70% is sort of the common failure rate, every project that is considered. And I don't know if they eliminate the small ones or not, but 70% of the time, projects fail to deliver to expectations. Buried within that are numbers that say if you insert proper management, you can reduce that to a 20% failure. The problem I find there is in these studies that say use proper management, they vary in, in which technique they want to use. Some of these reports completely disagree with those approaches. So it is literally all over the map. There are some reliable numbers related to some parts of this. For instance, 22% of organizations actually use some sort of project management software. The others, they're probably just writing on a tablet or making it up as they go along. There seems to be a consensus that almost 99 cents of every dollar spent on projects is wasted. We're not getting much back for our money.
0: you say that again?
1: There seems to be a consensus that about 99 cents
0: 99 cents
1: of every dollar is wasted. Holy. So you spend a buck on your project and you're only getting one cent worth of value out of it. Shocking, right?
0: That is shocking.
1: Something around 40% of companies have no comprehension of the need to do project management. Mm. They still operate the way things were run when I started in the IT business back in the 80s. And that is, you guys start coding and I'll go find out what it is we're supposed to do. Okay. That sort of approach. In surveys, of people who responded have no confidence in IT project successes simply because they have the same experience you do. I'm in that group. Yeah. Close to 50% of projects fail because of a lack of alignment between the business and the project objectives. In other words, projects are created that have no relative value to the business that you're in. It's Mm -hmm. crazy. When you get down to some specifics of areas that cause failures... Somewhere around 55% of failures are due to budget overrun. You end up spending way more than you had anticipated you would. Somewhere around 40% of respondents say that the biggest problem they have is a lack of sponsor support. We'll talk about sponsors and why that's important a little bit later in this discussion. And then this is one of my personal favorite stats. I stumbled onto this one just a few days ago. It says multitasking causes a 40% productivity drop. So this is near and dear to my heart because I have often been a proponent of what I like to refer to as the myth of multitasking. And I would sum that up as saying multitasking is just a way to do more things less effectively. But there are numbers to support that. Those are the stats. Shocking, I know, but that's where we are.
0: I'm a little surprised that you're more skeptical of project success rates than I am. Maybe I'm being generous with an estimate of 50 to 75% failure rate. You're saying it's at least 70%. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: That's what you're hearing. Wow. So remember, Glenn, a lot of this is, what is your definition of failure? And in the strictest sense, we've got those three elements of a project. Mm. We've got time, we've got scope, and we've got budget. In other words, how long is it going to take you? How much is it going to cost? How many people is it going to require? In pure technical terms, if you overrun any one of those, your project has failed. So you need to keep that in mind. It it may sound worse than it actually is, or it may be far worse than it actually sounds. It sort of depends on the project.
0: Would you agree with my contention that the rate of significant failure where you've delivered no value or it's just so far missed the mark that you could in no way consider a it success is at least 50%. Yeah,
1: I would say you're very close. It may actually be higher than that.
0: Okay. okay. So we're generally in agreement then. So you've talked about some of the important aspects of projects. Can you run through the phases of a project?
1: Sure. And this will matter when you start talking about ways for things to go wrong. Let me just say that there is an organization called the Project Management Institute. This is an international organization. It's been around for a long time, and. What it represents is people that have been in the business of managing projects for a long time, and they have a weighty textbook that they use as a basis. It's called the Project Manager's Body of Knowledge. So this is not just some sort of lighthearted, made-up approach. It's, I was going to say scientifically. It's not scientifically proven. It's operationally proven to work better than no management at all. And within this PMI Perspective of project management, there are phases, each of which has concise definitions about what should take place during those phases. So I will name them and then just really briefly explain what goes on in there. So the first phase of a project is initiation. Sort of makes sense. That's your startup. So that's when you would do the initial planning, the initial scope definition, try and figure out. What it is that you're trying to build, that's when you would define who's going to be involved in this project. And importantly, this is the point at which you pick a sponsor, someone within the organization that is the ultimate executive authority over this project. That's critical because a lot of failures occur because of sponsorship problem. But that's all that upfront, the very initial thing where somebody comes up with an idea, there's enough research done to prove that it's an achievable objective but not a lot of detail. So phase one, initiation. Phase two is planning. And in the planning phase, you would, of course, get into things in more detail. That's where you would start to flesh out requirements, customer requirements, user requirements, that sort of thing. That's when you would start to define specific team members, who's going to do the work, those kinds of things. So you get into the real nuts and bolts. Now, there's likely to be a significant difference between that initiation phase, estimations of time and effort, and the planning phase estimations of time and effort because you're getting into more detail. But nonetheless, what this represents is you're you're really sharpening your pencil and you're really paying attention to what's going on. You're trying to define the work to a degree of specificity that you have a a higher uh, confidence in the numbers that you're using. Initiation, then planning. Third phase is execution. That's where we start to do the work. So that's where you start building whatever it is that you're going to build. If it's software, that means you're writing code. If it's building a house, it means you're delivering lumber to the job site. If it's building an airplane, it means you're starting to fabricate the parts that make the airplane. And at the same time that is happening, you enter phase four, which is called monitoring and controlling. So that's where the project team, the project manager and whoever's involved with this is really paying attention day to day to what's going on. So you're making sure that you're on track time-wise. You're making sure that the people that you need to be working on are available and working, and you're making adjustments. So that's the controlling part. So we initiate, we plan, we execute, and while we're executing, we're monitoring and controlling. And then you're done, and you have a closure phase where you wrap everything up. So those are the kind of generic titles that are associated with the work around any project.
0: Got it. Okay. So we've got initiation, planning, execution, monitoring, controlling, slash, adjusting, and then closure. And we should recognize failures happening at each of these phases before the phases start, when the phases are done, between the phases, during the phases. <laughs> it's everywhere. This I completely understand that the Project Management Institute has this kind of framework in place and it's great, but just knowing that there's a framework doesn't guarantee success because failure is happening all along the way.
1: That's very true. What it means is there are just five different places to screw it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A million ways to fail and like four ways to succeed.
1: That's a good way to put it. And, And I think that's the challenge of all of this is that we can define projects. We can define all these phases, but every one of these events that you embark on is unique. It is to produce or create or support or, or do something that may or may not have ever been done before. It uses a combination of people that may or may not have worked together before. It has so many variabilities in it that it's almost impossible to to create any sort of hard and fast approach to this. So this is probably one of the reasons why we have such high failure rates is it's complicated. Every project is different. And as you said earlier, if it's simple... Well, you have a much higher probability of success. And maybe a good way to talk about this at this point would be to consider something that we all relate to, maybe building a house. So there are things that you have to go through in building a house that fall into all of these phases, but it's something that's been done so many times by so many people that it's highly predictable. So I think it's far less likely you're going to have a massive failure in a project like that, than say, I'm going to create a new piece of software that does something that's never been done before, or I'm going to build an airplane that's never been created because of the scale, because of the complexities. Some projects are more prone to failure just because they're harder.
0: I would throw in there too, team involved. When I think about building a house, I think of a team of specialists that have proven that they can do plumbing, electrical, framing, roofing. And it's a complex project when you're building a house because there's lots of different people involved and lots of timing issues. But I think what you're pointing out is in some of these failed projects, they're trying to do something new with unproven teams.
1: Right. And as you're describing that, I'm sort of thinking some of my own experiences in the IT world. We have the same kind of the same sort of approach in that there are different groups of people that need to do different things. But unlike in building a house where you've got a group of people that creates foundation, maybe they do the excavation or maybe there's another group that does that. And that's all they do. They build foundation. Mm-hmm. Then you've got a group of people that come in and frame. And they've done this many times before. There's a strong probability they've done it with whatever general contractor they're working with before, it's something that they've got some experience. A more common reason for failure is that you have multiple teams. And again, if we, if we look in the IT world, you have a team that's responsible for one segment of code, and they need a piece developed by another team that's responsible for a different set of code. These two teams have their own universes of things that are important to them, and getting them to work together getting them scheduled, getting the right people available is infinitely more complex because this may be a one-time event. You may have never worked with these people before. They may have never done anything like what it is you're trying to do before. So there's just more moving parts, uh, less uniformity. The house building, I think, serves as an excellent model for explaining how a project should work, how it should flow, how there should be a well-thought-out, planned, and executed approach with different teams, each of which that has a different skill. I think the IT world serves as just the opposite. It's the same sort of underlying approach, but with a whole bunch of different variables that lead toward less successful outcomes. Not to say that you can't do it, and not to say that if you go into this ahead of time, understanding that that's the area of complexity you can't figure out a way, It just turns out that that seems to be a very common failure point is that interaction.
0: Yeah. One thing I appreciate about a construction site that uh, they're sort of well-known for is the candid feedback. My house was built from the ground up, and I do remember several instances being on site and seeing... The foreman guy basically chew out someone because they did something that wasn't a spec or something that was wrong. One particular example, they put the header board on the house for a deck without putting the waterproofing tar paper underneath it. So it all had to come off and redone. This guy just chewed them out and the framer said, sorry, and went and fixed it. And <laughs> maybe that's lacking in corporate America, that kind of you know acceptance of candid feedback and fixing things and getting it done.
1: I'd like for us to get into those kinds of discussions that might be better addressed in a future episode where we can really focus on those sorts of interactions. But I have the same exact experience. And just recently in my neighborhood, uh, one of my neighbors was building a house. And during the construction process, they put a window in the wrong place. I mean, it was obviously Mm -hmm. the wrong place. And you think, how could that happen? And it does come down to communication. It means that there has to be somebody monitoring and controlling and calling out the errors in time to avoid a big disaster. So I'm not saying that just because you've built a house before means you can do it without any kind of problem. It's just a good analogy, I think, for all of us, particularly our listeners, to use as a basis for understanding how can a project succeed and what kinds of things do you need to be doing along the way, and what about communication? That That is a key point, that you've got to be constantly paying attention, you've gotta be monitoring, your project work. And you got to be communicating with the team, with external teams, with the sponsor, with the customer. There has to be all this happening. It seems like it's harder to do in an IT project. And whether that's just because we're not as experienced in that realm, or maybe there's a degree of difficulty that we haven't quite uncovered yet. Not sure what it is, but I know it's, it's there.
0: Maybe now is a good time to go through a few examples. I think we can all look at the phases of a project and appreciate the PMI's view on how to make a project successful. But I certainly have many examples of having all of that in place and still failing dramatically. So maybe it'd be instructive if we go through some examples in our own experience and in the public realm that might help illuminate some of this. What do you think?
1: I think that's a good idea. Let me call out, based on the conversation we're having at this point, I think there are a few areas that are worth noting, and then I've got a couple of examples that I think might help clarify. There are areas that we can point to that are high-risk areas where failures are likely to originate. We don't need to get into those yet, but I think I'd like to at least hit on them. And one would be, in terms of resource planning, not arranging to have the right people or enough people available We talked a bit ago about how you need to have objectives. You need to have clearly defined objectives. That's part of that whole initiation and planning thing. And you'd be surprised at the number of projects that are undertaken that don't have that. One thing that I've seen happen many times is a lack of visibility, where you need people, not only the people that you're directly working with, but people like your sponsor and and people within the organization to really see what it is that you're doing. And then communication, we just talked about that. That's a huge risk. If you're not communicating, if you're not really paying attention to what's going on, problems can happen. You know, there can be expectations because of a lack of clarity, that upfront thing of not having clear goals where people are expecting something that they don't get. And then there's the the final thing, which is the phrase scope creep which sometimes it creeps, sometimes it runs, sometimes it gallops. That's a a real problem with everything. And actually, all of those things kind of fall into some of the examples that I was going to mention. One that I think is a a huge, dramatic, and insanely expensive failure happened a few years ago with Airbus, where they created that gigantic A380. You could put up to 800 people in that airplane. I mean, that's nuts. They built it. They built... Uh, like 250 of these airplanes and Mm -hmm. sold them. Less than half of them are still flying. And there were a number of reasons that this was an utter disaster. The first was that Airbus decided they needed something to go head to head with 747. Well, we've seen the 747 has fallen out of favor too. It's an expensive airplane to fly. The Airbus, the one thing that I remember about this that I think is worth calling out is that it had a real problem because it could not use every airport they were unable to land it at most airports. They couldn't accommodate the enormity of this. So it was really restricted in, in terms of where it could go. That was a billions of dollars of a disaster. I'll mention one other one real quickly, and that was back in the day when we used to have to rent videos, there were two competing formats. There was the VHS tape, which most people will be aware of. And then there was a competitor from Sony called the Betamax. They were different formats to accomplish the same thing. A lot of people have never heard of the Sony Betamax because it was an utter failure. A lot of reasons for that, but it's something that makes clear that it's not just small companies. It's just not inexperienced companies that have failures. We're talking Airbus, big company, Sony, big company. I'm sure you got some examples you can throw out too, Glenn.
0: Yeah, I think those are two good examples of a project kind of failing before it started. Would you agree that they had essentially misread the market and what was Com- needed?
1: Completely. Gotcha.
0: Let me give you an example from my own experience. I worked for a large wireless cell phone service company that had grown through acquisitions as it developed over the years. And one of the results of this kind of growth was that they had accumulated six different billing systems. And they're really just two billing systems that kind of handled most customers, but they had four others. And it's very easy to make an argument in a situation like this. Wouldn't it be better if we just had one? Because if you think about maintaining all of these billing systems for millions upon millions of customers, it's expensive. And if you're an ambitious executive, you'll argue that the future of retail and the way customers want to interact with their cell phone brands will require a completely new approach to customer service. Therefore, you've got to build a new system from scratch. That is simply moving customers all to one billing platform that already exists isn't good enough. At one point, I was asked to help accumulate data about this project. This is when I was introduced to this massive amount of resources being put towards this project. The company had basically created a company within the company of contractors. Many different firms were involved. I'm not exaggerating when I say this company literally created a number of consulting firms in the market. That is several people had figured out, I just need to get a group of people, a group of developers together and sell it to this company. And they would pay hundreds of dollars an hour for these resources. They were also determined to make it an agile-driven project. Therefore, they had every manageable role hired. Everything from agile coaches to product owners to data scientists to Scrum Master to DevOps. They had, you mentioned sponsors earlier, they had sponsors up to yin yang. Every buzzword was there. Needless to say, it cost an enormous amount of money. By the time I got involved, our finance group had estimated it cost over a billion dollars to that point. I was going to go into the project and help them understand how they were using the software development planning tools and whether by accumulating data from all these different teams, if we could make any sense of what was going on. It was interesting to talk to some of these teams and the people involved because many of them were basically asking to be taking off the project because they were burned out for one and they were saying it's never going to end. They saw no end in sight for whatever reason. Nothing was working from their perspective. I also learned that my little project was hopeless since they had taken agile mentality so far that every team was organizing and planning their work differently. So I failed before I even started. But after more than a billion dollars, they ended up with a single billing system, but it only covered a small fraction of the customers out there. So they didn't even hit the original goal, which was to create one billing system to rule them all. In the end, this did not fail for lack of resources or planning or effort. This project had what was effectively an unlimited budget. However, the vast majority were contractors. This important project was basically outsourced and involved a relatively small number of people directly from the business. So I concluded from this that it failed from the beginning by thinking you could take this important project and ask somebody else to do it for you.
1: Interesting disaster. I'll just comment on that because I have worked on a number of IT projects that involved contractors, but it's like everything else we've been talking about today. It has to do with the specifics and the details of what's going on. Contract work is not inherently bad, as long as it falls within that controlled management circle. If you've got the right people planning and managing a project, you can still get the work done that you want to get done. Your statement that it's because it was contracted out doesn't really uncover the, the true failure point. And the failure point is that there was someone that should have been monitoring this more closely, that should have been controlling it, and they weren't, whoever that was. So it's not about the individual person, even the individual people doing the work. It's about the overall view of the project. So let me give you an example from my background that's tiny compared to what you did, but it's sort of the same thing. So this goes way back to the beginning of time when mobile phones were just a gleam in the eye of a bunch of telephone people. And I worked for a telco in the Northwest US that had a few places around Washington and Oregon and Idaho where they had installed mobile phone service. And these are the mobile phones that came with a briefcase-sized box that contained a battery and a transmitter and giant handheld things. But it was sort of the first step. The project, if there was such a thing, involved, let's create this opportunity for people to have telephones with them at all times. The failure around this had to do with the fact that there was no real project associated with it. It was just an idea that had people working on it that had no coordination, that had no plan that had no timeline, that had no budget. And it failed for a number of reasons, but it also failed for all of those reasons. And it used technology that was inherently flawed. Uh, I got to tell you this, this was back in the days when a lot of IT systems used magnetic tape, and they had these gigantic facilities that had tape machines that were running those big 12-inch reels. This actually used tape made out of paper. So it- (laughs) For those of us who have been in the IT game long enough, we always hear these stories about punch cards, yeah. the IBM punch cards that were like three by five or something like that. And they had holes punched in them and there was a machine that read them. And that was the way you coded. That was the binary data. Well, they used paper tape for the. So one of the reasons they failed was they couldn't bill anybody because two thirds of the time the tape would break when they tried to read it. It's paper, right? <laughs> that seems like a bad plan. It was a failure for a number of reasons. It had nothing to do with contract help, and it had everything to do with there was no plan. There was no project around this. It was this effort that could have been managed by a project that wasn't. A better example, again, from my background, is just so you don't think it's just companies that are that are making dumb mistakes, this was a, a government project in the UK, the National Institute of Health, NHS, and they decided they needed to... Become an electronic medium. They needed to upgrade their system. So they had multiple hospitals throughout the UK and they were going to upgrade these. I worked for a a company that got the primary contract to do this. So we had an electronic medical record, all of the associated components of it. So it was end to end. It had software that would manage from when the patient walked in the door until the bills were sent out to the insurance company, everything in between, all the clinical stuff. All of the financial stuff, all the back office stuff, everything was there. It was just a matter of installing it. This was a government operation from the UK government that had an enormous number of project management people on it, a highly detailed plan, a defined scope and timeline and budget, and they missed everything. Without getting into the the weeds and all of the many reasons this failed, it was an utter disaster, it cost the UK hundreds of millions, maybe billions of pounds. It completely failed. The company that I was with ended up basically walking away from it, lost money on the project too. It was an example of the same experience that you had, probably for a lot of the same reason, but utterly no project control over the thing from start to finish. We've both seen the worst that can happen. But I think the thing to take away from all this is that project failures can be spectacular those two that we both described, where you've got all the money and all the resources imaginable, you still can't get it done. Or they can be subtle, and they can vary from a complete disaster to a mild disappointment. You can end up with not quite what you wanted, but you still got to the end. So there's a whole range of failures to go along with the whole range of project definitions. They all have the potential to succeed or fail for all the same reason.
0: Let me give you another example, because what you just said, the potential to succeed or fail, makes me think of the likelihood of succeeding or failing and what you're trying to bite off in one bite. I worked for a Bill Gates wholly-owned company at one time, and they had a, a lot of good people, lots of creative people, really cool business. However, they kind of struggled with in a lot of areas too. It had grown just like that cell phone company example by the time I started working there, it was a couple hundred million dollars. So not a giant co- corporation, but certainly large. And one of the issues they had is that they had all these systems that were designed for very small companies. So they had the bright idea, let's upgrade our backend office systems to one of the major providers, and some people call them ERP systems, Enterprise Resource Planning, and their bright idea was to replace them all at once. This was a big undertaking, but it of course had a strong business case. Looking at the state of their current company systems, it was apparent they were not going to be able to scale much farther. It was approached as a massive effort, and it started in the way you think it ought to be done. It involved literally everyone in the company, There was large kickoffs. We all were part of some kind of work stream and everything was broken down. It was all being documented very well. There were tons of charts and matrices and races and Gantt charts. And again, there were sponsors, requirement documents, gap analysis, explorations of pricing systems and all kinds of things. And I was a part of at least one of those things. It was sort of a textbook case of how you should approach something massive like this. For a company of this size in the end it failed almost entirely after a couple of years of struggle in so many areas they eventually just did one very small system i think it was just the general ledger in fact i remember near the end of this thing kind of finally coming to realization that they weren't going to deliver anything i went to something that they called the issues log and the last logged issue was classic it said issue no one is using the issue log to log issues (laughs) This, in my mind, was a case of attempting to bite off too much. It was completely unrealistic. Replacing a single ERP system is a big enough challenge, but when you take and you replace five or six all at once, it was just doomed to failure. There's no way you could be successful at doing all six of those at once.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. It's not just companies, it's software suppliers. It's it's these kind of first level creators of ideas that fail as well. What you just described to me is sort of a classic case where this could have been multiple projects, mm-hmm. maybe take them one at a time. And I don't know why the decision was made to do it the way it was. So much of this, so much of what we're talking about, so much of project failures come from bad experience. What What's the phrase? Experience comes from failure and failure comes from experience. Ah. The way you learn how to do this right is you screw it up enough and you start to understand the danger points and then you can work around it there are simply too many angles and too many variables too many people involved in this a lot of success will come to those people who keep trying who keep learning who keep making mistakes and recovering
0: we should recognize that there's a element of salesmanship involved here i keep thinking at least that example i just gave there was a really good erp salesman that said hey if you're going to replace this system you might as well replace this system at the same time because they're integrated and everything we do is, is easier if you replace both systems. Oh, and by the way, if you replace you replace two systems, you'll get 50% off the third system. And then we throw in the fourth system. If you're going to do three systems, you might as well just take the fourth system. And I've seen that are basically throwing in extra modules just because you're spending so much on the first three you might as well take the fourth. It's not really free, of course, because there's a huge amount of integration work that needs to happen and only they can, of course, do it. It's easy to get suckered into expanding the scope even before you start with this idea that you're revolutionizing, you're transforming a company.
1: I think those comments sort of summarize why I have pushed back on your, your wish to take this conversation on, hmm. that it is so complicated because it's so nuanced project to project. I think the only thing you can say for sure is you need a lot of experience. In other words, you need to have made a lot of mistakes to understand how to do it right. And the only way to understand how to do it right at times is to have done it wrong before. All is not lost. The fact that 70% of projects fail may be that we're still early enough in this whole concept of managing projects that people are gradually learning. The big failures will continue to come from those organizations that do not recognize the need for any kind of project management that resist that, that think all they have to do is come up with an idea and turn people loose. That would be akin to our house building model of sending every crew That does every aspect of the house to the property the job site and say build the house well obviously the roofers aren't going to have much to do on day one the subtleties of all this uh, revolve around the ability to define pieces that are attainable and instead of trying to do four erp systems all at the same time maybe you do a phased project where you do one at a time maybe you only do one thing or maybe you only do a segment of what you're talking so that you have some hope of completing what you started. But because it involves all of these different, the phases that we talked about earlier, because it involves all the different people that we talk about, because you've got people up front that are doing planning, you've got people at the far end that are doing implementation. Those are two very different jobs, but they have to all be aware of what's going on. They have to all buy in to the idea. They have to all participate in the plan in order for it to work. It's a daunting task. And the bigger the task, the Airbus 380 harder it is to do. There is one other example that we should probably mention. Boeing is a big company, Boeing aircraft. They've been around for a long time. They've built a lot of airplanes. They've been very successful. Then they built a 737 MAX. And two of those airplanes fell out of the sky with a huge loss of life. And that project, that 737 MAX project had a number of flaws. In it. And the consequences of those flaws were not just lost money, but lost lives. Everybody knows these stories and they understand that there was a an error in the manufacture of a critical flight component that once it was discovered, it could be repaired. But you have to wonder, how does a company like Boeing that's been in the business all these years, how does a company like Boeing that's got all sorts of levels of project management, how does a company like Boeing that has successfully done this for decades still fail? And I think that speaks to everything that we're talking about here most projects will fail at some degree or another. And you said early on in your initial remarks that what we're really talking about is the major, utter catastrophic failures, but there are going to be failures of all sorts, big and small, and they all come from the same elemental source. And I think those reasons are are what we've touched on here. We also know that there are proven ways to lower that rate. And those are things that are not big secrets. They're widely known. They're widely practiced. They're in use by a lot of companies, big and small. And they all have to do with those same sorts of areas that we've talked about, the planning part, the communication part, making changes as you need to along the way, controlling the whole thing as you're moving forward. And that key point of having sponsors that support what you're doing, that kind of keep the focus. You know, it's easy to fail when you're doing the wrong thing. But it's also easy to fail when you're doing the right thing. There's simply no immediate, clear, one-line answer to how you do this.
0: I like that perspective because I, I think in your example earlier about using paper in a in a process and not realizing that that was just a terrible idea because paper is easily ripped, That that just seemed like a bad idea. Let me ask you this. Does project management have a way of addressing just bad ideas?
1: So I come to you and I've got an idea. We're going to build a new product, whatever it is. And we have long discussions about this, and we involve a few people, and we come up with a proof of concept that says, hey, this is something that we can do. And then you've got product people that say, this is something that the client really wants. So you're on the right track. But the details of how you do that, depending on what it is that you're trying to do. One of the key points in there is that thing I, I talk about, and that is monitoring and controlling. You are going to run up against things that are unexpected. You mentioned Iraqi earlier, and for those of us who might not know, that's a risk evaluation document. So you identify areas that are potential hazards starting on day one. You create risks. You come up with ideas for how you mitigate that. And one of the risks might be, in the case of our paper tape example, is that the medium that we're using to store the billing information is unreliable and subject to failure. The response to that might be, let's find another way to do it. And the answer might be, there is no other way. To do it. You just have to deal with it. Risk is something that you can identify, and risk is something that you can mitigate. And doing the wrong thing should be something that you uncover early on. I mean, in a perfect world, if you come to me with an idea that's a bad idea, we should not formulate a project around that and try and do it. And yet, we've got all those examples that we talked about. The Airbus, ex- built an airplane and nobody wanted. New Coke, nobody wanted that. There are other very well-known examples of products that were created that nobody wanted. For those that have been around a long time, the Ford Edsel, a car that was created that nobody wanted. Plenty of opportunities to point to bad ideas that have attempted to go to fruition in the past. I don't know how you fix that. Because if you've got somebody that's in charge of an organization and it's their idea and they're convinced it's the right thing to do, people are going to respond and try and do it. Let's say you're developing a software product And within that product are a bunch of screens that users interact with. And the idea is that I'm gonna bring up a screen and there's a bunch of information on that screen and there's a button that I push that takes me to a subsequent screen where I enter some information. And then I have to push another button and go back to that original screen and do some more stuff. That's probably a bad idea. So you just need to resequence the events. A well-managed project would approach that. During the design review, there should be a way for someone to point out that's a bad idea. You need to finish screen one before you go to screen two, and you rearrange the sequence of processing on that screen, or you relocate the button, something like that. So I think it's inherently built in to the process that you come up with the best idea and you identify bad ideas. But me saying that is not the same as it happening. There are always gonna be ways to mess things up and there are always gonna be people that will mess things. And software is the best example of there are a hundred ways to do anything. All of them may get you to the end result that some will be more graceful than others. So the trick would be finding the most graceful most well-appreciated, smoothest solution. This is just me saying the same thing I've said all along. There's no easy way to define what you do step-by-step to make this work. So if you apply that overarching sort of model where we do some upfront work, we do a whole bunch of planning, we start doing the work and we monitor it closely day at a time. Everybody's paying attention to what's going on all along. The hope is, and the realistic expectation is, that you will uncover those areas as you encounter them, and fix them at the time you uncover them.
0: I think that's where we need to go in the next episode, which is basically, as you mentioned, some of these massive projects have had a lot of resources dedicated to planning, to project management, to controlling, and yet somehow these bad ideas still happening, communication still fail, they allow unrealistic expectations to be set, maybe there's a lack of execution or accountability, and all seems to kind of still end in a, in a state of failure. We need some way of framing this up so that we can address these big issues and these failure rates, because there has to be a way to make this better.
1: I guess I would point you to the National Football League. <laughs> if you consider a football team a project, seems like you should be able to figure out which people to put on that team in which positions to have great success. But as we look across the league from year to year, that's not what happens you can have the best plan in the world, but stuff still happens. There's that level of unpredictability. In that analogy, people get hurt or they get hit by a bus. I mean, stuff does happen. So you can plan all you want. You can make the best decisions that you want, and you still may not get it right. Back to our world of project management, you need to put together a roster of all the people that you want on your team to do this work. And you want to get the best ones you can, but you have to coordinate what they're doing for you with what they're doing for everybody else that they are responsible. You have to be looking at this every single day. You have to make adjustments every single day. And those adjustments may be personnel moving in or out. They may be adjusting scope They may be adjusting expectations. They may involve you going back to your sponsor and saying this thing that we thought we could do, we can't do in this release. We need to create either a second phase, a new project, or we need to abandon that. We need to change the solution. got to be nimble to adjust. Underlying that, it's still a failure because everything you said you were going to do, you can't do. There will never, ever be a case, I predict, where we achieve 90% or 95% success in project. I don't think it's possible. I think you have to accept that some things will fail, particularly big, complex, hard to do things. Doesn't mean you don't try, doesn't mean that you don't apply all these principles, but I think you almost have to expect that failure is part of what happens. And of course, I'm reminded of the famous quote from whoever the guy is in NASA that said failure is not an option. <laughs> well, there were still lots of failure points in that whole Apollo program, things that went wrong, but ultimately they got what they wanted. It's just maybe it didn't happen as soon or as inexpensively or error-free as they wanted. That's a good objective to to set for yourself. Failure is not an option, but it's going to happen and you have to be able to respond.
0: Okay, I'm not completely convinced yet that we've got everything framed up perfectly yet. I, I hear you about the project management thing, but I'm also just ringing in my ears it is my own personal experience of seeing lots of good project managers go down in flames. I've been known to, to say that I've never met a Gantt chart that wasn't completely wrong, and I always take them and immediately throw them in the garbage. I think in the next episode, we should try to narrow a scope a little bit, perhaps focus in on IT projects and talk through what what I think you hit on, which is risk assessment, understanding where projects will go wrong and how you address them.
1: Let me just make a couple of statements. One is I've done a lot of project management. I was in the IT business for over 30 years. I was certified by the Project Management Institute as a project management profession. Mm-hmm. I participated in a number of large-scale implementation projects in the healthcare realm, and some of them worked. I actually have a couple <laughs> of stories that we can talk about where okay. we followed all of the, the rules and actually succeeded. Everything was done on time, under budget, and within scope. But I've got more examples of things that did not get there. We can get into those details. But I want to make sure that, that everybody understands that I'm not just coming into this from having read a bunch of articles on the internet. This is personal experience. I know it can be done. And I know that all the things that frustrate you are things that sometimes work and sometimes don't. The expectation has to be that not everything will be perfect. So we're aiming for a target that we may or may not hit, but let's try mm-hmm. and get as close as we can. I like this approach. As, as I've said to you all along, Glenn, I've been hesitant to dig into this just because I realized that for every rock you turn over, there's three more rocks underneath it. And trying to get to some sort of definitive answer feels really hard to me. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if we can. I think the, the best we can hope for is share our experiences, share the things that worked, talk about the things that did not work, And hopefully out of this, we can come up with maybe a set of recommendations of things to pay particular attention to, when to be most worried about your project. In fact, how to recognize when you're about to go aground,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: uncovering those things. And our personal experiences should help us to, to define them. It will be interesting to keep digging into this and see where we end up. It's a hard, complex topic. You're really good at picking these. And it's just more difficult than one would expect to come up with concrete suggestions and answers.
0: Any, as always, I appreciate your perspective. And I think we've, if nothing else, established that this is a difficult topic, but it is so important to nearly every organization out there. And we'll continue this discussion next time.
1: All right. I'll be ready.